Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from November 7th by Pastor Randy, titled Revival and Holiness. So let's just start with a simple question. How many of you are sinners? Okay. Half of you, basically. How many of you sin more than you want to sin? Okay. So some of you aren't sinners, but you sin more than you want to sin. All right. A little confusing. All right. So we're sinners and we can't stop sinning. And it really doesn't matter how much you promise God, how much you promise other people, how much you promise yourself. We're sinners and we can't stop sinning. We even have a verse to back that up. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how many of you are in the all? You know, you part sin and fall short of the glory of God. So we all sin and we can't stop sinning. And that's often how we see ourselves. That we're just sinners and we just can't stop sinning. How does God see us? How does Scripture see us? Now in Scripture, what it calls us a few times, about three times through the New Testament, it calls us Christians. That's kind of how we see ourselves. We're Christians. Which is not a bad thing. It's not a bad way to see ourselves. But that's how we see ourselves. But God sees us a little bit different. There's a word used over and over and over again, by far more than any other word in the New Testament to describe us. And the word that's used to describe us from God's point of view is not sinners, it's saints. Saints means holy one. Set apart. Other. Different. But that's a problem for us in our culture because basically the Catholic Church has completely ruined it for us. Because they have taken a completely different perspective on the word saint. Here's how the Catholic Church defines a saint according to their official doctrine. This is what they say. All Christians aspire to become saints. That is, persons in heaven, officially canonized or not, who live lives of great charity and heroic virtue. Notice they don't say all Christians are saints. They say all Christians aspire to be saints. There's one prerequisite you have to have to be a saint that nobody in here wants, at least not right now. And that one prerequisite to become a saint is you have to be dead. Here's how it works in the Catholic Church. You die. Someone decides that you've lived a life of of great virtue and great heroics. They think that you might have aspired to sainthood. So that an expert will do a study on your life. And if that expert thinks that that you have maybe made it to sainthood, you, you pass muster with that expert, he passes you on to a bishop who does another study on your life. And if you pass muster with that bishop, that bishop thinks, well, maybe they could become a saint. Maybe they're, they're a saint. They will pass you on to a committee in Rome who will do another study of your life. And if you pass muster with that committee, you reach a state called venerable. And then they will give you to another committee. 
And if you pass muster with that committee, you reach a state called blessed. And then there has to be at least two verifiable miracles done as a result of somebody praying in your name. After you died, they prayed in your name. This is to show that you still have juice with God, although you're dead. Right? So two verified miracles done by people who prayed in your name after you died. And then, if you had those at least two verifiable miracles, then the Pope can canonize you and you can be declared a saint. And that's a long process. It can take years decades, sometimes even centuries is taken. Now, opposed to that, the Bible, which the Catholic Church, they don't exactly use that for too much of their doctrine, but opposed to that, what the Bible says is becoming a saint is just a one-step process. You become a Christ follower, that's it. You become a Christ follower, you're a saint. Every time the word saint is used in the New Testament, it's always plural. Because we're all saints. It's never used singular. It's always plural. We're all saints. Here's what we read in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus. If Paul was writing that to us, he would say to the saints, to the holy ones at Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage. But too often the way we see ourselves, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. We don't see ourselves as saints, do we? And we have an enemy that does not want us to think that we're holy and blameless does not want us to see ourselves from God's perspective. So he's happy with us just seeing ourselves as a, as a sinner who's just trying to manage our guilt now. Because when you see yourself as a sinner, you're just trying to negotiate God with your guilt and you have these very low expectations of yourself. Here's what we read in Ephesians chapter 2. Mace alive is talking about God. God makes alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. We say we're just sinners saved by, saved by grace. We need to take that word just out and we need to use the right tense. We were sinners. And we may still choose to sin. But we were sinners, but now we've been lifted up with Christ. We've been seated in Him with, in heavenly places. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. The Holy Spirit has been poured in our lives. We're chosen. We're beloved. We're His. That's a lot different way of looking at things. Then I am just a, a sinner saved by grace. I am a saint. I am a holy one. Yes, I may sin, but it's all changed from now on. I may occasionally sin, but I don't see myself as just a sinner saved by grace. That's not it at all. See, we aren't going to say, if I act holy enough, I may become holy. But what we say is I'm holy, therefore I want to act holy. See, so many times we want to try and behave something to become someone. God says, no, you are someone, therefore you should behave like you're holy. Completely different, but it makes all the difference in the world on how we look at it.
If you just see yourself as just a sinner, you're going, your expectation is a sin. Why did you do that? I'm just a sinner. It goes on further in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. We should, we should be looking to imitate God, not those around us, but God. Then he says this, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So, in other words, just walk and live in love. He's just trying to tell us about the Christian life in general. But then he says this, but sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you as is proper for the saints. See, some things just don't fit the saints. Some things are just out of character with who you are. Whenever you get drunk, it's not that you disobeyed a command, don't get drunk. It's just that's not who you are. That's completely out of character. You got sexual immorality in your life? That's just not proper to be involved in sex outside of marriage. That's not who you are as a saint. It's improper for who? It's improper for God's holy people. I've told you the story before. It's a true story of, of uh, this middle school in Oregon where these middle school girls, when they would get to school in the morning, they would go directly to the bathroom and they'd start putting on their makeup and do all their makeup stuff. And then they put their lipstick on and then they put their lip prints on the mirror at school. And a janitor had a terrible time cleaning that off. And so one day the, the, the principal and a janitor called those girls into the bathroom and the principal says, see what you girls are doing? That is so hard for the janitor to clean off those mirrors. Show them how hard it is for you to get these mirrors clean. And he takes a little squeegee and goes and dips it in the toilet and comes back and starts wiping down the mirrors. <laughs> Had no more problem with girls putting their lips on the mirror anymore. Why? There's just some things that don't belong. There's just some things you shouldn't come in contact with. There's some things that's just not proper for your new identity. And then we read this verse. This is this next verse, verse 4. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking or not suitable, but rather give thanks. He's not saying don't talk like that because it won't make you holy. He's saying you're holy, so you shouldn't be talking like that. Do you see the difference in the way we're looking at this? From our perspective where we just go, oh, I'm just a sinner. Versus from God's perspective, no, you are a saint. Why would you want to behave like that? It's a lot different. I'm a sinner, so I just sin. That's just the way it is. You just have to put up with it. I'm just going to sin. When you were born, you were born a human being, right? Now, there may be a few exceptions. <laughs> Donovan over there, I'm not sure if he was, but anyway. Yeah, he's awake now. He's listening now. You don't go to a one-year human being checkup to see if you're a human being. You're born a human being. You may become a better human being, but you're still born as a human being. You're messing with my sound, Donovan. All right. Consider myself gotten back. You never say, I want to become a human being because you are a human being. Now, you may act like a donkey. There's another word for that, but we won't use that word. 
You can act like a donkey, but you're a human being. You can act like a sinner, but you're still a saint. See, until the truth of who we are and whose we are penetrate us, we're not going to have a chance to reflect the power of God in us. Or let's put it this way. You will behave consistently with what you believe about your identity. Don't settle for a case of mistaken identity. Don't do that. Because what you believe about yourself determines how you're going to behave. If you see yourself as a sinner, you're going to give in to sin without a fight. So let's go back to our verse, Romans 3.23. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God. What's at the end of that verse? After God, there's what? There's nothing. There's nothing there. Now, some versions of the Bible will put a comma. I think the King James puts a semicolon. Some versions will even have a period there. But I promise you, there is nothing in the Greek, there's nothing between God and the next verse. Nothing at all. Here's what the next verse says. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Or, literally, there's not even an and there. Okay, what we've done is we inserted those, those either those punctuation marks, we've inserted those because it just makes more sense in the English for us. Because Paul would sometimes give these long, long sentences. For us, a whole paragraph, it may be a hundred words. Him is just one sentence. And that's hard for us to understand the English. So what our English translators do, they come along, they put punctuation marks, they put periods and things like that to make it flow better so we can understand it better. But I promise you, in the Greek, there's nothing there. It just goes, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And then it's being justified. If you want to, it's just one word, justified, and it gives a whole verb tense in it. Being justified freely by his grace. What's justified mean? It means you have no more debt. You've been made holy and blameless. So what happens in life is we go, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God, I messed up. I did that. Why'd you do that? Well, I'm just a sinner. That's all. I'm a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning is don't settle for half the gospel. There's another part. You've been justified freely by his grace. Your debt has been canceled. You've been made holy. You've been made blameless. Don't settle for half a gospel. 1 Peter 1. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What he is meaning when he's saying be sober-minded, he's saying be aware of the culture around you and how it rubs against your Christianity. Be aware of that. Don't live like, oh, there's no problem between my Christianity and culture. No, there's going to always be an issue. So be sober. Realize how Christianity is, is, is challenging the world around you or how the world around you is challenging your Christianity. He's just saying realize that. And then he says this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. Don't live the way you used to live. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So we are to live a holy life. How holy? As holy as the people are around us? 
No, our standard is God, not the people around us. Here's what I want you to catch from this. God expects us to be holy just like he is. Now, here's the question. Do we have that ability? Because what's implied in that is God's given us the command, and what's implied is we have the ability to do that. But oftentimes, we go back to Romans 3.23. No, 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 not that far. I'm just a sinner. I can't do that. I'm just a sinner. No, what he's saying here is, look, God's given you the ability to be holy just as he's holy. How do we know that? Because he's given us a spirit of holiness. We have that ability. The same reason he can tell us to love others just like he's loved us. The same reason we can forgive others just like he's forgiven us. And we can accept others just like he's accepted us. And we can serve others just like he served us. We can do that. We have the ability to do that. But if you don't see that, if you don't understand that, you're going to fall short and continue to fall short. Now, the negative example of holiness, of living a holy life, is Samson. He's a negative example of this. The story of Samson takes place during the period of the Judges. The Judges is the period of time in Israel's history between the death of Joshua and the monarchy. Whenever Saul comes to, to reign on the throne, there's about a 330-year period where they have Judges. Now, what's happened is when Joshua dies, the people all of a sudden, they stopped trying to take the land. See, they had been commanded, you go in and you drive out the Canaanites, you do whatever you have to do, you kill them, you just get them out of there. Why? Because if you leave them in the land you're going to occupy, they will turn your hearts away from God. And, and you will start living an unholy life. But that's exactly what the people did. Instead of driving out the Canaanites, they said, Oh, man, we can make servants out of these guys. We're tired of fighting anyway. And those other people that are very hard to conquer, we'll just let them have their own little space over there and we'll be okay. But what happened is exactly what God said would happen. They begin to mingle together and the Israelites begin worshiping their gods that they worship, worship their idols. They begin getting involved in, in, in all the anti-God stuff that the cultures around them were involved in. The reason God won't drive them out to begin with. And so what would happen is instead of the Israelites oppressing those people in Canaan, the Canaanites, they rose up and they began oppressing the Israelites. And things would get bad. And so they would cry out, God, help us, help us. We want to turn our hearts back to you. We want to become your people again. Please help us. And God would send a judge. And they would put down the Canaanites, usually the Philistines. But there was a lot of others involved. But then that judge would die, and that cycle would repeat again. That's the period of the judges, except where Samson is concerned. Because Samson, his time period is different, because nobody's crying out to God when Samson comes on the scene. Nobody's saying, God help us, God help us. They're oppressing us, God. We need to, we need to repent and depend upon you to come do something. We've got to have some relief here. None of that's going on. Because what had happened is that, that they have just begun to tolerate this. It wasn't bad enough for them to cry out. So what did they do? They just complained about the Philistines. Ah, those Philistines. Man, can you believe that? You know, 
abortions are going on over there, all the immorality, the, those, those Philistine prostitutes. I can't believe that. And what they're putting out in Gaza Wood these days, man, we're going to stop watching our TV. We're going we're to get our satellite from Egypt now. We're, gonna, we're not going to watch Gaza Wood anymore. Then they came the other day and they took my friend's stuff. They just came to his property and they just took his stuff. Can you believe those Philistines? All they did was complain about the Philistines. This should start sounding familiar. Whose fault was it that they were in the mess? Was it the Philistines' fault that they were in the mess that they were in? No, it was their fault. They had ceased to be holy, separate, other, different than those around them. They began to become just like them. That's why the Philistines were oppressing them. But all I did is come and complain about the Philistines. See, Samson decided like everybody else that instead of living a holy life, he was just going to do what was right in his own eyes, just like everybody else was. Well, I believe this is the right thing to do. And, and this is what we should be doing. And everybody was doing that. And they were complaining about the Philistines. Nobody wanted to look at themselves. Does that sound even vaguely familiar? All right, so some things about this. The result of an unholy life is not lostness, but lessness. Yeah. See, when Samson comes on the scene, and you read that, there's a sense of expectation. You have this child miraculously born, miraculously gifted by God, empowered with, with physical strength, and, and you're expecting something. You expect Samson to, to at any moment, you know, put his kilt on and paint his face and become William Wallace and say, freedom, let's go, let's take. But it never happens. It never takes place. It, it never goes that far. He just compromises his whole life. You know what the biggest problems employers have with employees? It's showing up late, and when they show up to work, they're tired. You know what the biggest reason that employees give for being tired? They stayed up late playing video games. So here are guys in their 20s and 30s, still like 10-year-olds playing video games. That's Samson. You expect something great of Samson. You get this idea that, that, that God's getting ready to do something great through Samson. And all he does is get caught up in this pettiness and even in the score with the Philistines. That's all he does his whole life. He led Israel for 20 years. He never saw a revival take place, a, a type of revolution take place. What if Samson would have stood up and said, okay, guys, we're done with worshiping those Philistine gods. We're done with visiting those Philistine prostitutes. We're done with doing what's right in our own eyes. We're going to get our act together and we're going to be holy before our God. Who would have followed him? Because his life wasn't like that at all. Here's what we read in 1 Corinthians 3. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. Or some versions have carnal, as babes in Christ. 
I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready because you are still worldly or fleshly or carnal. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? See, those words worldly and fleshly and carnal, that's just, he's just saying you're unholy. It's the opposite of being holy. That's what summed up Samson's life. See, unholy people, carnal Christians, they're not lost. They're just a lot less than what they could be. They live a life that may have an occasional victory. Samson did. He had an occasional victory, but his life was so much less than what it could have been. And carnal Christians, they can occasionally come up and and do something great for God, but, but their whole life is like just a small ripple effect. It's not as significant as it could have been. So, the second thing, and the unholy life leads to compromise. Compromise, a slippery slope. It's a slow fade. Samson goes to Timnah and says, I think I'll just look around here. That's all. I'm just going to look around. Not a big deal. Just a little bit of honey out of this lion. Not a big deal. Just a little bit of drinking. Not a big deal. And he has these little compromises, little compromises, little compromises in his life. Jim Collins wrote a book, Good to Great. And he has a chapter talking about the ethics of these powerful executives and he says they start off in their career and they want to do everything right and be a good executive but they wind up 10 years later cooking the books destroying their company destroying their lives themselves everything and if you go to them 10 years early and said are you going to cook the books one day no i would never do that but they start out here at a Want to do everything right, but they wind up here at Z when they're cooking the books. How they get there? What Jim Collins says is they go from A to B, from B to C, from C to D, and on down. Then when they get to Y, cooking the books is just a short step. It's no big deal at all. An unholy life is one where it's full of compromises. Oh, just, just this little pick. I'll just look at this little website, this pick. No big deal. I can handle it. I'll just flirt with this other person who's not my spouse. That's okay. It's not a big I can handle it. It's not going to lead to this and lead to this. I'll never get there. But what happens? That's exactly where they wind up, isn't it? Next thing that I want you to understand is sin is not an act. It's a path that begins with little compromises. It's not a one-time thing when you sin. No, you're on a path when you sin. You're always on a path that's taking you somewhere. And you start out with this one little compromise. Oh, it's just a little time here. It's just watching this show with, with a little stuff in it that I shouldn't put before my eyes. And you start with compromise, and compromise, and compromise. The next thing about an unholy life, unholy people want to live like the world around them. See, as I said, the word holy means separate and different. But unholy people, they don't want to be oddballs. They don't want to be different from the world around them. 
Let me tell you about the world around us. The world around us, they want their lives to look like a beer commercial where everybody looks good and they look good and everybody does, they don't really have any real jobs. They're just smiling and happy all the time. The world wants their life to look like a beer commercial. But what you see is you only see the highlights of their life. You just see the highlight reels. You don't see what's really going on. Because let me tell you about the world. The world, their lives, it really just doesn't look real good. You don't know that they're in counseling. You don't know that they're in rehab. You don't know that, that they really can't get along with their spouse at all, that they're ready to get, get on their fifth marriage because this was not working out at all. You don't know how they're in debt. You don't know how that, that they have no relationship at all with their kids. That's what the world looks like. You won't look like the world. You won't look like everybody else. The next thing, living an unholy life comes with a price that you can't afford to pay. Samson didn't take God seriously. And there came a point where God had enough. And Samson got his eyes gouged out. So many times, Christians will say, nothing's happened yet, no big consequences yet, I'm okay. But in Galatians 6, it says, God is not mocked. <laughs> Whatever you reap, you will sow. That may come in this life, it may come in life to come, but you will sow. So many times as Christians, though, We think, I'm doing okay. Nothing has happened yet. Sin will always enslave you. It will always blind you. You always think, I'm doing right what's in my own eyes. And you don't see how the compromise is tearing down your life on how far you're getting away from, from living the life that God intended you to live. You may get to choose your sin, but you don't get to choose the consequences of your sin. And they will come. Here's the thing I want you to understand about holiness. Nobody stumbles into holiness. You don't just stumble into it. Let me read you one of my favorite quotes by D.A. Carson. He says, People do not drift toward holiness. Apart from a grace-driven effort, People do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, and obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of a lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Nobody stumbles into holiness. And we hate this in our culture because we want things just to happen. We want to take one pill and have all the fat just melt out of our body. We want to buy one of those things we see on TV, one of those machines that we can just use 10 minutes a week and have these rock hard abs and be a totally ripped, right? That's what we want. But the truth is, 
The reality is you cultivate over an extended amount of time who you become. Here's what we're reading Colossians 3, 5. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, which is idolatry. And he goes on with that list a little bit later on in a few verses down. Put it to death. Literally, it says, put to death what's earthly inside of you. You don't stumble into holiness. It comes by having this rage towards sin. And what D.A. Carson, he calls it, he calls it this, uh, uh, this grace-driven effort to where you want to pull, put to death those thoughts, those actions that don't belong. Why does he call it a grace-driven effort? He calls it grace-driven because legalists, they don't want to put things to death. They just want to control them, make a pet out of their sin. Good boy, roll over. Look, I have sin control. They don't want to get rid of it. They just want to control it. There used to be a, a show on Disney called When Animals Attacked. And I felt bad about watching the show because I always cheer for the animal most of the time. But here you have, you have these killer whales. You know, you have Shamu and you have these lions and tigers and, and, and bears and all these things. And they're on there, you know, lay down, sit, jump through this hoop, whatever. And then they turn around one day and they attack the person. And they go, how'd that happen? And I'm like, what do you mean, how'd that happen? It's in that animal's DNA to attack. It's like putting chips and salsa in front of you. Know, sooner or later, I'm going to eat that chips and salsa. You put that in front of them, sooner or later, they're going to do something. They're, going to, they're just going to attack. That's in their DNA. Of course it attacked. And people have that little pet sin. They think, I've got to control I, I can teach it how to lay down and beg and roll over. And then one day it rises up and it deceives you. And it comes in and starts destroying your life. Why? Because that's what sin does. That's what it does. Samson found that out the hard way. A grace-driven effort is violent towards sin. It's going to want to kill it. You want to live a holy life in our culture? You better be about killing something. You know, one of the things we joke around and say when I go hunting is, just, I'm just ready to kill something. You know, it's a guy thing, girl. But anyway, just want to kill. But, but that aside, that's, if you want to live a holy life, you've got to have that attitude. Because how Satan described it in 1 Peter, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That lion's coming. It wants to deceive you. It wants to kill you. It wants to destroy everything spiritual inside of you. You better go and kill that lion. You better get that gun or that crowbar or whatever you have, and you better hit that lion, and you better hit it again and again and again until it's totally nothing left. It's just gone. It's completely dead. That's how you've got to be toward the sin in your life if you want to live a holy life. Otherwise, your option is to compromise, to complain about what's going on everywhere else, to basically to just doing what's right in your own eyes. 
You wind up just looking at culture, complaining, and doing what's right in your own eyes. You'll be playing a fool. And look back at my life and go, I'm tired of playing the fool. I'm tired of, of wanting to blame the Philistines when it, the Philistines is not the issue. I've ceased to be holy. I've turned my back on what God created me to be. I've been thinking, boy, if I can just get my act together, if I can just do this, I'll be holy. But God says, no, you are holy. Why would you want to have that in your life? When you know you have that right attitude whenever sin is in your life and you're ready to just kill it. You don't want to play with it. You won't try to control it. You're ready to kill it. Be done with it. Beat it. It whimpers. You beat it again. You keep on going. You don't show any mercy. Like I said, literally that, that, that uh, Colossians 3, 5 is, is murder what's earthly inside of you. Oh, we still got it up there. Just, just murder it. Put it to death. So you have a choice. God expects you to be holy just like he's holy. And he's given you the ability to do that. But it's not going to happen if you try to control the sin in your life. If you try to, we said this morning in our class, make peace with it. You'll never get there. You'll always see yourself, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Why did you do that? I'm sorry, I'm just a sinner. That's what sinners do sometimes. You'll always be selling for half the gospel. And you leave out that part about being justified, being made righteous, being made holy, seated with him in the heavenly places, blessed with all spiritual blessings, chosen, loved. You, you just, all that stuff, you just leave out that part of the gospel. All your gospel that you'll have is, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. That's all, I'm just a sinner. And you will settle for half the gospel your whole life. What I'm saying is, we want to see revival? we got to be some mean people toward the sin in our lives. Don't try and control it, make peace with it. Don't try and, and make it a pet and teach it tricks. Kill it. Just kill it. Be done with it. Or you can just complain about the Philistines and keep doing what's right in your own eyes your choice. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.